Hey, my name is Kevin Clark. I'm the host of a new football podcast called Slow News Day. I want to tell you about it. On Mondays, Lindsey Jones and I will recap the weekend in football that was, as well as look ahead to what's next. On Wednesday, the normal Slow News Day, the thing you've been watching for years, current players, current coaches, current analysts talking about the football world. And on Friday... It's a wild card. Could be some college football, could be more pro stuff. It's a video podcast, so you can watch it on Spotify or listen to it wherever you get your podcasts. Follow on Spotify. It's Slow News Day. This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Ringer NFL. Just go to Indeed.com slash Ringer NFL right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This episode is brought to you by Modelo. What does a true fan look like? It's cheering the loudest. It's never missing a game, no matter what. And for that, you deserve an ice cold reward because you are a fighter and Modelo is your reward. Modelo, the mark of a fighter. Shop delivery or pickup options near you at ordermodelo.com. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Imports, Chicago, Illinois. Welcome to Extra Point Taken on the Ringer NFL feed. Shield Kapadia here with Ben Solak. The 2023 NFL Draft is in the books. Most of the big offseason dominoes have fallen. Ben Solak is off a long day of travel. I assume he's got a fishing pole like right off screen here. And as soon as we're done recording this pod, he's going to be out, get a little mental health uh, refresher, a little breather after the wonderful work he's put in along with the rest of our staff for the draft. Am I, am I right, Benny Souls? Are you out like this afternoon to where do you go? A pond, a lake? I would love for you to be right. And if the <laughs> circumstances were correct, you would be right. However, it is 38 degrees in Grand Rapids today. So we ain't, we ain't swimming just yet. Fish ain't woke up just yet. What is what's your what what's your what's your off season thing? My like everybody knows my off season thing is like fishing. That's what I'm gonna do for the entire summer. What, what about you? Uh, I am an old generic sports writer person now who during the pandemic tried to learn how to play golf and is terrible at it, but still enjoys swinging a golf nice. club. So that will be my thing. Trying to get better at a thing I know I will not even get to any baseline level of competency with. But that's part of the fun. When you're old, you take on these new challenges, Ben. You still try to get better at stuff, even though, you know, you might fail a lot. Like like I, like Giannis said, like yeah. we were talking about before the pot. I'm I'm painting myself into a bit of a corner because all of everything I say on all of these shows is going to be held in the public record for forever. But I really don't think I'm ever going to be into golf. I don't, and maybe I'll hit forty, and that and that that synapse will go off in my brain, right? That neuron will start firing. That's like pick up a club, walk on the grass. But I just don't. I just would rather walk and then not have to stop and do something every so often. This doesn't seem engaging to me. You get to hang out with friends. You're outside. You get that little competition itch. That's what I like about it. But anyway, you didn't tune in this this great audience to listen to me complain that I stink at golf. Still, you came in to. Find out what do Sheila and Ben think about what happened during the draft, what happened this offseason, what are their leftover takes. So we're going old school today. No theme. This is like an in-season extra point taken. We're each just giving three takes. I'll have the extra point at the end. We haven't told each other the takes coming in, so we will react in real time. All right. I am leading us off. This is a take I've alluded to before. I feel even stronger about it now that Kyler Murray... We'll be starting, Ben, for one of the following five teams in 2024. Here's what I've narrowed it down to. The Miami Dolphins. Love it. The Washington Commanders. Absolutely. The Minnesota Vikings. Vibes the would be Tampa bad, but Bay I accept. Bu- the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Similar answer. The Atlanta Falcons. Never. No, 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 no. <laughs> Arthur Smith would never look at a man that small and think he could play football. Absolutely no chance on the last one. 
So you're fully ru- ruling the Cardinals out. That's a total zero on the Cardinals. Am I understanding that correctly? Ca- Cardinals are out. So here's the here's the where the take comes from. I think the biggest story probably in the draft was that trade that the Cardinals made uh, with the Texans moving from three to twelve. Then the Cardinals moved back up. But if you look at what the Cardinals did, don't get me wrong. I don't think the Cardinals are suddenly a competent organization. But if I look at what the Cardinals did on draft weekend, and I'm a fan. I really like what they did. Uh, I thought they did yes. a fantastic job. I mean, they add, they now have two first round picks in 2024, their own and the Texans first round pick. They have a second. They have three thirds. They have six picks on the first two days of the 2024 draft. They easily could have two top five picks in the 2024 draft because I don't think the Cardinals are going to be good and I don't think the Texans are going to be good. And guess what? Next year's draft, as Ben Solak wrote about on The Ringer, has some QB star power in Caleb Williams and Drake May. I believe strongly that the Cardinals are going to end up in position to draft one of those two quarterbacks. I think they're going to look at it. They're going to say, you know what? We had money invested in Kyler Murray, but we're going to move on. We're going to start a new era with a new quarterback on a rookie contract, and we're going to go from there. And we know that's how the QB dominoes start to fall. Then the other teams who go into next offseason saying, hey, we kind of need a veteran quarterback, they start looking at it. So let me make the quick case for those five teams, and then I want to get your thoughts. The Dolphins, Tua Tungavailoa admitted, uh, kudos to him for being honest, this offseason that he considered retirement after those two, at least two concussions he suffered last year. I hope he stays healthy. I hope he doesn't suffer any more concussions. I hope he has a great career. However, There's some doubt in my mind that that's going to be the case. It's certainly within the uh, possible realistic range of outcomes that next offseason, the Dolphins are looking at a quarterback. And we know they've been in win-now mode. Kyler Murray in that offense with Mike McDaniel, that could be kind of fun. The Commanders, they're kicking the can down the road at quarterback, but new ownership, we're expecting to come in. They might be in position next offseason to make a move. They're probably not going to be bad enough this year to draft a guy high. That's why I had the commanders in there. Vikings. Yeah. Kirk Cousins entering the last year of his deal. Can you talk yourself into, hey, Kyler Murray with Justin Jefferson and Jordan Addison. Let's get this thing going. We can really be competitive in a weak NFC. Maybe. And then you have the Bucks, who really have no plan at quarterback. They're going with Baker Mayfield and Kyle Trask this year. Now, what, what was our bet? If Kyle Trask starts week one, you wear jeans or something? Was that what we were yeah, saying? Yeah, Kyle Trask, I'll wear all denim if Kyle Trask is starting week one. <laughs> you're, you're wear all denim. Baker That's Mayfield, right. baby. <laughs> Shout out to the listener who, after we made that bet uh, a month or so ago, gave us a nice Photoshop of Ben in an all denim uh, outfit. I wish I it. remembered who it was, but I very much enjoyed that. So it's possible the Bucks are going to be bad enough that they can just sit in the draft and take a QB. However, I think they've got some talent on defense. They're in a bad division. Maybe they'll win enough games. Uh, and then finally, the Falcons, you just said that's not happening, which might be true because I don't know what the Falcons really are looking for in a quarterback. Where, where, Falcons when are winning the South with Desmond Ritter, but that's a conversation for a later time, brother. Uh, however, if you read the Falcons coverage, they're saying, hey, we'll put the pieces around. And then we'll figure out quarterback in the end. Maybe it's Desmond Ritter. Maybe it's someone else. So that's why I had them in the mix. All right, Ben, did I forget anybody? Do you agree with me that Murray's going to be moved? Am I going too strong on this? Where are you with my first take? It's difficult to say you've forgotten anybody. I think those are the most quarterback unstable teams that are out there, or at least the ones that are easiest to prognosticate. There's going to be a team between now and then that, becomes less stable at quarterback that has question marks there's stuff that goes down and they decide to be aggressive lions were the only team that i was like i'm in the headspace of like lions should have added a quarterback and the lions didn't add a quarterback I thought in the about class. it yeah. yeah and so like that one but again like i also don't think that they would go kyler in the same way i don't think the falcons would go kyler i don't think play style makes sense um yeah i uh like the it, it deserves to be said just clearly kyler murray is Kyler Murray's contract is get outable next year. Like it doesn't feel that way because we are not yet accustomed to guys signing massive extensions and then getting moved multiple years later, i.e. like a Carson Wentz. But Kyler Murray uh, contract structure wise, if you trade him in the 2024 season, free June 1st, it's a uh, cap savings of $5.6 million, which is nothing. That's not, not much cap savings. It's a dead cap hit of $46 million which sounds enormous, but like 
uh, when, when the Eagles moved on from Carson Wentz, it was what? It was $34 million in the dead cap, right? Something when they, like uh, yeah. Yeah. When they moved, uh, the, the Matt Ryan dead cap hit, uh, yeah, Carson Wentz was 33.8. The Matt Ryan dead cap hit was 40.5 when, when they moved on from him and sent him to the Colts. Uh, 46.5 is just the cap going up. It's just the cost of doing business. It'd be the highest dead cap hit in history, but it wouldn't be like, what an enormous jump. What a crazy change. Like this, like, like if, if the Cardinals want to trade Kyler Murray's contract when the 2024 league year begins, they can, no problem. Like that, and, and I suggested that this past weekend when I saw the amount of draft capital that the Cardinals had accumulated. And because uh, they, they, they right now lead the league in 2024 draft capital comfortably. Uh, and people were like, yeah. you don't look at the Kyler Murray contract. It's like, no, like I know why we look at this contract. We go, well, obviously they can't move. It's a $46 million dead cap hit. But that's, if you want to move off of a, a quarterback extension that didn't work, that's the going rate nowadays, right? You got you to you be uh, eating about $40 million. And so I, uh, it, the trap door will be there. Now, we got some stuff to go to between hither and thither, right? We got just how Kyler uh, rehabs both in like a positive light what if he comes back in week five and he's great for 15 weeks? And also in a negative That's light, what if, he, what if he comes back and looks terrible and nobody wants to trade for him because everybody's worried about him and the Cardinals are stuck with the sandbag, right? So it, 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 it is a little bit of a window. He has to look good enough to be trade-worthy, bad enough that the Cardinals want to move on from him. We got to see who actually ends up with the first overall pick or ends up being able to go get that first overall pick. The Cardinals, I think, are a leader in the clubhouse for that. But they're play, they play the Rams twice a year. It'd be hard to get the first overall pick when you play that Rams team twice this season. I'll tell you that. Uh, and so there's a lot to get to between here and there. But absolutely, 100% when that when Monty Osafor and John Gannon and that that new brass sits down and looks, all right, three-year plan, five-year plan, they'll look at the Kyler contract and say, yeah, we can get out of this next year if we want to. And that's just a reality Cardinals fans are going to have to have to live with for a little bit. That That's the big thing is that it's a new regime. It's not They're not the ones who signed Kyler Murray to that contract. Uh, it's ownership. And so they, you know, they can easily make the sale. Now the owner might say, no way. Uh, I'm not doing that. I make my players pay for their own food at the facility. You think I'm going to eat that much money to move on. But in most cases, when a team wants to move on from a quarterback and decide it wants to move on, there are ways to do it financially where they can, uh, where they can figure it out. It's rare that they'll, especially when the opportunity elsewhere is to draft a quarterback who you love, like usually you're going to go ahead and figure out a way to do that. All right. That's my first take. What does Benjamin Solek have for his first take today? First take the absolute best part of the Lamar Jackson extension with the Baltimore Ravens is that I no longer have to pretend what the heck's been going on this whole time with this team and with this contract. I just thank goodness this is over. The fact that all of this ended with let's take the previous big quarterback contract, make it a little bit bigger and sign that is the most irritating thing I have seen all off season for, 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 uh, uh, you know, uh, emphasis here. Jalen Hurts signed a five-year deal worth $255 million total. Lamar Jackson signed a five-year deal. And it's a little bit different because Lamar's extension starts now and Hurts' extension starts a year from now. I get that. But Lamar signed a five-year deal worth $260 million. Five million more than the Jalen Hurts extension. Jalen Hurts' extension at $180 million in terms of total guarantees, like guaranteed signing bonus, roster bonuses that activate next year, $100 million. 180 million in total guarantees. Lamar Jackson's extension had 185. If you had rewound the clock to September of 2022, when the Ravens and, and Lamar were first like having contract negotiation issues, I would have been like, just take the most recent, take the Kyler extension, add five million dollars to the total, add five million dollars to the guarantees, and call it a day. Like, what are we doing? This is how business is done. You just find the most recent analogous quarterback contract, right? If you're a Young mobile quarterback, Kyler, if you're like an old statue quarterback, go look at the Tanhill contract and just add a little bit and keep it chugging, brother. And then we did a whole seven months, eight months of Lamar wants this. Is Lamar actually injured? He Maybe he is injured. Tyler Huntley went to the Pro Bowl. The Ravens want to do this structure. Lamar only wants three years. What are the guarantees on Deshaun Watson's deal? And we just ended up at the same place like every other quarterback negotiation goes to. And that's like great. Like that it's good for the Ravens. I think that they got like like you know it's it's that classic situation of yeah, they made Lamar the highest paid player, but they're also getting like that's a fair contract because he's Lamar. He 
is a, a he makes your offense viable just by his presence, just by starting. It's also a fair contract for Lamar because he's the highest played player in the league, and he's got a, a contract on the typical escalator of 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 quarterback contracts. So, I mean, the whole rigmarole happened, and I think we learned a lot. And I think that it, it it's good for the rigmarole to happen in like uh, setting the groundwork and the framework for future CBA negotiations and for discussing fully guaranteed contracts. Like we might have ended up in the same place we would have if everybody just played ball a year ago. But the reality is that that didn't happen. And we arrived at a moment where Lamar Jackson was a, an, a non-exclusive tendered for a franchise tag. And the entire NFL said, no, we would never trade two first-round picks for Lamar. And that event is meaningful. That event happened. It, it doesn't get wiped out by the fact that Lamar signed a deal with the Ravens. That occurred. And that's going to matter in terms of like how the non-exclusive tag is discussed and uh, how it's leveraged against players and like how contracts and, and the CBA changes over time. So like that occurred. And like you don't want to wash that away. It's just crazy to me that we've been trying to, like, from the outside in, read into cryptic Lamar Jackson. Not even cryptic Lamar Jackson tweets. He tweeted, like, a month ago, I will not be a Baltimore Raven anymore. I love the fans. And just now has just signed the most regular contract. It, what a, what a, uh, a roller coaster of a situation. I am thrilled that it's over. I think it's good for the Ravens that they got the deal done. I think it's good for Lamar that he's the highest played player in the league. And I'm excited to see what this team looks like next year. First of all, how dare you uh, say that it would, you know, this was great for content. This was great for extra point taken. <laughs> That's this very was true. great for the ringer. Uh, so uh, good job, Lamar. Good job, Ravens. You know, in, in an offseason, without the Lamar Jackson story, it wouldn't have had quite as much juice. We got a lot of, uh, it, it was funny to talk we a lot more Rodgers. Yeah. Yes, which nobody wanted to hear us do. And we did not, frankly, uh, want to do. But yeah, it was funny. We were talking about what should we, how should we format today's show? And you're like, I think we should talk about Lamar. We spent like 400 hours talking about Lamar. And now there's been a resolution. Maybe we should chime in on the resolution. So uh, yeah, I had a few thoughts on the contract. I mean, number one, for all the people, you know, and we've talked about it before, the idea of Lamar Jackson not having an agent and did it hurt? Did it seem weird at times during the process? Did it maybe hurt him at times during the process? Maybe, but guess what? He got a contract. He got the same contract. Three percent of that contract, contract ain't going anywhere yeah. else, brother. That's in his all in, in his pocket, in his pocket, and three percent of what two hundred sixty million? Uh, you do the math, ain't but that seems like at. more money than Ben and I have combined. Yes. Uh, so that's that's a nice. Uh, that's just something to keep in mind because that was just a huge storyline the whole time. So I don't want that to get lost. Like he did mm -hmm. in the end negotiate a contract for himself as the highest paid player in the NFL and in NFL history. Like you know how many times do the the insiders tweet out you know a contract ooh a mega deal negotiated by Agent X. We all know what's going on there. Well, mega deal negotiated by Lamar Jackson and his mother and the NFLPA. So. I don't know if it's going to lead to anything, but nice, nice job. <laughs> nice job by them. In the end, also nice job uh, by him because there's a scenario where ego really gets in the way here. You dig your heels in and you say, no, I'm not even like, we don't even need to talk. I'm sitting out. Right. I'm willing to miss game checks. I've come this far. This thing gets really ugly and you don't do anything and, and really you don't have leverage. And so it doesn't lead to a great outcome for you in the long run. So I don't know what happened, whether it was just the Hertz contract, him thinking about it uh, a little more, no one coming to the table with another offer. But, you know, that is like anyone who's, you know, thought about different jobs or whatever. It's like, you know, sometimes you think you're worth one thing and then you find out, all right, maybe, maybe I wasn't. All right, this offer A looked better than I thought it was, you know, right. uh, that that's part of negotiating. Like, like Jason Fitzgerald of Over the Cap pointed it out, like part of negotiating is asking for stuff and then realizing what you're actually offered. And then making a decision like there's no harm in asking for what he asked for. Like he did himself literally no damage. He still got a great contract uh, in the end. And he found, and maybe if he took this initially, he would have thought he would have had regrets. And he would have said, man, if they would have given me the non-exclusive tag, maybe someone would have given me more than this. So he found out that that wasn't going to be the case. And he ends up going back to Baltimore. So, uh, yeah. And also, I would say good job by the Ravens. I mean, I don't know yeah. how their season's going to go. But they didn't want to go there with the Watson deal. That was obvious from the beginning. They thought they were making fair deals. Uh, they did their best to just, it's a very personal situation with him representing uh, himself. And it could have gotten to a point where it got really ugly and it just, it wasn't salvageable. I mean, I think I, on the show, I thought at some point, certainly this offseason, I thought it had gotten to that point, but it obviously yeah. didn't. And so 
nice, nice job by them also oh, kind yeah. of meeting him in the middle. And I mean, they're listen, they're they've got to win in the playoffs. He has to stay healthy. But the Baltimore Ravens with Lamar Jackson as their quarterback are 45 and 16. I mean, like that that's a nice place to start. And to your point, yeah. now you zoom out and you're like, ooh, I kind of like the Ravens offseason. Exactly. They got Todd Munkin to be, replace Greg yeah. Moman. Greg Roman. This yeah, they gonna, got Odell yeah, Beckham this, Jr. This was gonna be my next question for you, which was all right, yeah. now you start now you 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 do something you haven't done in a while, which is you check the Ravens depth chart other than the quarterback position. Yes. And you go. <laughs> Uh, Zay Flowers, Odell Beckham Jr., Rashad Bateman back from injury with Mark Andrews. Okay. You go, ooh, I forgot that offensive line. Ronnie Stanley, Ben Cleveland, Tyler Linderbaum, Kevin Zeitler, Morgan Moses. Solid group. You go and you look and you say, oh, the pass rush group. Odafe, Owe, David Ojabo coming back from injury. Justin Nettibuke, Tyus Bowser. That's right. Roquan Smith with Patrick Queen on this team. Kyle Hamilton had such a great end of the season last season. You start to put it together. And now you got to ask the question. Ravens are now eighth in Super Bowl odds, plus 1,800. I don't really care too much about Super Bowl odds at this point. Odds to win the AFC North. Bengals, big favorites, plus 115. Okay, that implies like a 45% chance that the Bengals are winning the division. Ravens are second at plus 260. We do this dance a lot where I'm like, the Ravens? And you go, Ben, chill out. But I look at that and I kind of go, the Ravens? And I'm like, I, this is a good team. They, and they're in a weird spot. Yeah overall cap figures wise because they did a lot of like one-year deals with four-year void years right like that's how they got odell into the building um somebody else they signed in free agencies though kevin zeitler right now has got one year left with four years uh nelson aguilar's got one year with four years gus edwards got one year with four-year void years they did a michael pierce they did a lot of like one-year contract with a ton of void year stuff so they're kind of like i don't think they're super great set for the future they might have to like take a little bit of a lump in the 2024 offseason, get some young players in there, kind of reset the roster. That's what every team has to do when they sign a huge quarterback contract. But for right now, with the talent they've got in 2023, the Ravens? I like this team a lot. Yeah, I mean, just uh, I, I think in general, I have been more uh, pro-Bengals than you or anyone yes. else on the Ringer staff. I mean, we had this conversation at the beginning of last season. I still like the Bengals a lot and think they're Super Bowl contenders. But you just reading those odds, I think it's probably closer than those odds would indicate. I mean, I, I just exactly. told you what the record is with Lamar Jackson. So if you're betting on Lamar Jackson playing 13-ish games at least, like they're probably going to win uh, win a lot of those games. And uh, there, there was a staleness around this team too. Even like contract aside, there was a staleness around this team I felt like uh, specifically last year where it was just like, mm -hmm. they got to do something. Like they've tried this, it hasn't worked. And so one of the most exciting really coordinator hires in the offseason was Todd Munkin. Let's see what that passing game looks like. I mean, Lamar Jackson now has, would you, this probably is best pass catching group he's had there would you say yes. i think so right yes yeah. yes and and because so. it's new and it's a new system and it's such a dramatically different system and that they're going to like attempt to pass the football from nfl formations new thing for them i would very much expect the first four five weeks of the ravens season to be worse right like the arrow feel like it's pointing down the defense will win them a game or two right but like the passing game won't look perfect there's going to be misses there's going to be miscommunications and it's just, okay, how many, I don't know what the early season schedule is, but just, can you get out of the, the rut? Can you get out of the growing pains at two and two? And then I think that arrow starts to point up. So I very much expect the Ravens to be that sort of team that needs a September to figure things out. And then once we get to October and this offense start, it starts to, to activate, starts to gel defensively. I think they're really strong outside corner. I really wish they could have gotten a guy in the draft, but altogether defensively, I think they're strong. Like Ravens, we'll, we'll be on this, this show in November. And you'll be like, Ben, what's your first take? And I'll just be screaming into the mic about the Baltimore Ravens. Yeah, J.K. Dobbins, another year uh, off the injury. That Yeah, they've got a lot of nice pieces offensively. Like you mentioned, corner is a spot where they still could add, but that defense was good last year, especially after they got mm -hmm. Roquan Smith. So we will see. No more fake Lamar trades uh, for now, maybe five years from now when we're still doing the show. Uh, we'll, we'll talk about fake Lamar trades then. All right, let's take a quick break and we will come back with our second takes. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. There's no better feeling than a personal win and the State Farm personal price plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. This episode is brought to you by Modelo. 
What does a true fan look like? It's cheering the loudest. It's never missing a game, no matter what. And for that, you deserve an ice cold reward because you are a fighter and Modelo is your reward. Modelo, the mark of a fighter. Shop delivery or pickup options near you at ordermodelo.com. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Imports, Chicago, Illinois. All right, we are back on Extra Point Taken. My second take. The Texans trade up to number three will go down as one of the most reckless trades in recent NFL history. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I touched on this a little bit on the last Ringer NFL show episode we did. And since then, I'm like, you know what? I don't think I went strong enough. Full send. <laughs> Wait, I didn't even know. So you did this on, on like Sunday or Friday or whatever, and then you're just back with just, just a bigger <laughs> shot? Well, part of me was like, listen, not everyone's going to listen to every episode, but then I'm like, <laughs> I want to dig in. I want to dig in yes. even further. I want to get Ben's take on this. So, all right, here's what the Texans did. They traded at 12, 30, and also I've seen other takes since then. And I'm like, all right, I need to smack this down a little bit more. This, so that okay, people okay, understand. okay, okay. When I do this, <laughs> when I do this, you're always like, who's giving these takes, Ben? Ben, you got to get off of Twitter and notice I'm not going to do that to you. I'm going to encourage you. This is good. This is good. Get into the slot, <laughs> knee deep in the muck. Here we go. See? You're influencing me, see? Uh, so they traded 12, 33, a 2024 first, and a 2024 third for Will Anderson. So why yes. was this such a reckless trade? Why am I going in on this so hard? Number one, you don't take a swing that big on a non-quarterback. How many non-quarterbacks currently playing in the NFL who we already know are great players would be worth that kind of compensation? Probably not a lot, I would say. Fewer than 20, it might be fewer than 15, it might be fewer than 10. Uh, so don't, and now don't give me the nonsense that they were really trading for a quarterback. This wasn't like the Panthers. Like the Panthers, their only way to acquire a top quarterback was to make that trade. The Texans had the number two pick. They took the quarterback. They didn't need to do anything else. They could have just sat at number 12. So once CJ Stroud is off the table, by the way, the price for number three should theoretically come down because there are going to be more bidders if quarterbacks are available. There was one fewer quarterback available. So that's not what they did. It wasn't that they gave up this haul for a quarterback. They already, they got the court. They just needed a quarterback. They just sit there, pick the quarterback. That's all you need to do. Yes. That's one. Two, this roster still stinks. Go look at their depth chart. I mean, the draft is, to, is all about making decisions under uncertainty. I think Will Anderson's going to be a great player. I hope he's a Hall of Fame player. I hope he is like a, a Texans legend when his career is over. But you know what? I don't know that. The Texans don't know that. Nobody knows that because that's what the draft is about. We all fall in love every April and then we look back a year or three years later and we're like, oh, all right. Yeah, I definitely missed on that one. So think of what they gave up. Would you rather have something like Christian Gonzalez, Michael Mayer, a 2024 first and a 2024 third? Or Will Anderson. I mean, to me, that is pretty easy that I would rather have the former fill out more spots on your roster, uh, get more bites at the apple, hold on to that draft compensation for next season. Now, number three in the last one, the reason I really think why I, why I use the word reckless is because I think the Texans ignored the most likely reality. The most likely reality is that they are going to be picking, picking in the top five next season in a draft. I'll mention it again with QB star power. That is a beautiful spot to be because if you want to take the QB, you could take the QB, but guess what? If you don't want to take the QB, teams are going to be calling you left and right, trying to get up there for one of the quarterbacks. So uh, the most likely scenario is that that 2024 first round pick is going to be worth a lot and they gave it up because they fell in love. I like D'Amico Ryans. I hope TJ Stroud is going to be good. I hope Will Anderson's going to be good, but we have to make evaluations based on the information we have right now. Maybe I'll get old takes exposed when the Texans win the AFC South next year. Will Anderson sets a record for sacks by a rookie and CJ Stroud is offensive rookie of the year. However, I don't, that's possible. I don't think that's going to be happen. And I think this is going to go down as a completely disastrous trade for the Houston Texans. Benjamin Solak. The record for rookie sacks is Javon Kirst, 14.5 uh, in 1999. So Will yeah. Anderson ain't doing it was that. so good. With, a, yeah. with an extra game. I just looked that up. Um, I very thoroughly agree. Uh, there's a lot that goes into 
this text decision, which I that I spent probably the last two weeks, three weeks of the NFL draft cycle just trying to figure out what the Texans were going to do it too. And as anybody who was like reading mock drafts knows, we were about 24 hours out and nobody knew what the Texans were doing it too, right? I do not believe for a moment that it was a smokescreen. I believe that it was indecision and uncertainty and disagreement in it, within the front office, within the coaching staff, within ownership. That's why you saw like, like I, this isn't even like old takes exposing. Lance Zerline, king NFL draft analyst, the man, does Houston radio, say on April 25th, it will not be CJ Stroud. Like that's the one thing I know. And then at two, it was CJ Stroud, right? Like that, to me, that's, that's not smokescreen behavior. To me, that is the Texans not knowing what they want to do internally. I also believe the Texans had no idea what they wanted to do internally because you don't see teams make back-to-back picks in the top five. Like th- this is not something that is done. And when it is done, it is not something that has been done with like great success. Like it, this, this could not possibly feel more like uh, a scramble. This could not possibly feel more like Solomon splitting the kid down the middle. You like, oh, we can't agree on who we want to take it to. Let's just trade it to three and then take both the players. And that way everybody's happy. Like it, it absolutely 100% unequivocally feels like, all right, well, fine. If we have to get a quarterback, then I want to trade up to three and go get Will Anderson, who I always wanted to get. Or, you know, fine, if we have to go get Will Anderson, then you got to trade up to three to go do it because we're taking a quarterback at two. Like it, it, it feels to me like hard lines and fake compromises where actually nobody's happy, even though we're all pretending that we're happy. I, this is not real analysis, but go scroll the text and social media accounts and find the videos of the front office celebrating and the draft war room celebrating after they got the second or third overall pick. You can't find them. You find videos of, of, of them calling CJ Stroud and being like, oh, we're really excited to have you. But you ain't find no videos of like Brad Holmes and Dan Campbell chest thumping, which like not all front offices do that. So like, you know, again, it's not a real analysis, but I am not of like, like this team made two top five picks with like nary a splash with not a single like firework. They're just like, all right, like, and, and the Texans are up at three and they're getting Will Anderson. All right. And then let's move on. Like, you know, like it just, it, it does not feel to me like like uh, when a team makes two top five picks, it should feel like a tectonic resetting of their team. It should seem like they have a, a franchise cornerstone on offense and a franchise cornerstone at defense. I'm not of the opinion that they, uh, they achieved that. I like CJ Stroud a lot, but offensively, they're still so far away that I'm not sure they're going to be able to develop him. Defensively, my line on Will Anderson all offseason, all draft cycle was, I really like him. I'm just not sure he's a Nick Bosa, Joey Bosa, Miles Garrett, this caliber of pass rusher. He's usually drafted in the top five. Those guys got drafted without trade-ups. They spent a third and then more on Will Anderson. And yes, you can say like, oh, really? They spent on CJ Stroud. No, they didn't. You want to you say like, oh, they, they, they spent the trade-up value on a quarterback. They tried to trade up for one overall. They were at two, and they tried to trade up for one. That is not the behavior of a team that likes two quarterbacks. That's the behavior yeah. of a team that likes one quarterback. So, then they stay at two take a quarterback and immediately trade up to three to take a pass rusher. That is not the behavior of a team that really liked two quarterbacks. It just isn't. It, do- it doesn't add up. It doesn't jive. I feel like a 1960s noir detective. Something doesn't add up here. Smithers. Like it just does not like it does not compute. Last but not least, this team entered the 2023 NFL draft leading the league in projected 2024 NFL draft capital. And they are now dead average. This is from uh, Timo Riske of, of, of PFF. They spent money from, the, from next year to lock down CJ Stroud and Will Anderson in, what, in a move that has largely not affected their win total on sportsbooks. Not a needle mover. And, and, and it, again, you made the great point. It very well could all work out. But whenever we talk about draft grades and, 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 and doing draft examination, we talk about the information we have right now. If C.J. Stroud's Peyton Manning, then we didn't know. And if C.J. Stroud's Ryan Leaf, then we didn't know. So, like, you can't, you, we have to go off the information we have right now. The information we have right now, this was, this was uh, far too much risk, far too little reward for the Houston Texans. I mean, there's probably going to be a, a player at the spot that they're originally slated to draft next year who they will like as much as they liked Will Anderson this year. And that's, like, another way to look at it. They're going to they're gonna be picking high. Mm-hmm. Uh, did not need to do it. With those quarterbacks, especially, sheesh, uh, you got to look ahead. You got to think about what it's going to look like next year, what your roster looks like. And you're right, zooming out, 
It just speaks to more uncertainty. Who's making the calls? How are they making the calls? Was this a smart move? I don't think it was a smart move. And I think it could end up being a disastrous move. All right. What do you have for your second take? We'll talk, we talk quarterbacks here. Uh, every single one of the top quarterbacks ended up in a good spot for their development, which I know sounds like talking out the side of my mouth with CJ Stroud. We're going to get to CJ Stroud. One, Bryce Young to the Panthers. Anybody could have ended up with the Panthers and I would have felt good about it because it's a great offensive line and it's Frank Reich. Like that's just really, I think it's a nice, solid setup. The wide receiver core isn't great. Bryce Young wasn't playing with a great wide receiver core in Alabama anyway, if we're being honest. Uh, and Bryce Young's like, it's not like he's like an exacto timing guy and he's like precision routes, West Coast offense. Like he's always going to do scramble drill stuff anyway. And so if his receivers are like, the less than exact LaVisca Chanel and Terrence Marshall at the stages of their respective careers. That's okay. I think that this is a good setup. They're gonna be able to run the ball a lot, run play action, do some like the Kevin Stefanski, Baker Mayfield stuff. They're gonna be able to do some RPO stuff. I think it's going to be good for them. So I like Bryce Young, the Panthers. I probably would have liked anybody to the Panthers. Skip CJ Stroud for a second. Anthony Richardson at four to the Colts. Ooh, baby. Yes, sir. Yes. And Shane Steichen, ex offensive coordinator of Jalen hurts, bring in another, large mobile quarterback with a great downfield arm bringing a jump ball guy in Alec Pierce bringing a big receiver big target inaccuracy eraser in Michael Pittman I'd love if if they had a little bit of more downfield juice because Richardson's just so good at throwing vertically however they added Josh Downs which not necessarily the greatest downfield separator really really good like slot underneath guy maybe he helps them out a little bit more with Richardson's shallow issues right where they get like a really good separator and he's a great he's a great outside of your frame catcher whatever but Richardson with Jonathan Taylor and with that offensive line, which I know that offensive line had a down year, but I think there's still talent. I think they're still good in the running game. The coach who knows how to make that running quarterback work, keep that offense really, really simple, kind of hit the basics, hit the high notes. Like that's just very nice spot. Will Levis to the Titans. I thought Will Levis was Ryan Tannehill. He is backing up Ryan Tannehill. They know how to make a Ryan Tannehill work in Tennessee. Like this, I, 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 I think it's a great spot for... Brable, obviously, it's a new offensive coaching staff, right? Tim Kelly's the OC there. There's no more Todd Downing, no more Arthur Smith when, like, Tannehill was really, really successful. But they've seen it work with, like, big, tough pocket passer, throw in middle of the field, laser beam arm, good release. Like, they, they know the formula here for Will Levis. Uh, I'm interested to see how Levis settles into being a backup just because, obviously, he was one in Penn State, and then he left, and then Kentucky, and then he was the man, he was the leader. And obviously, he had like this big draft fall, and now it's like an awkward situation. But from a scheme perspective, I think it's a good landing spot in Tennessee. I would love if Tennessee had a second receiver other than Traylon Burks. Yeah. That this is not the way for the Vrabel led offense, apparently. But still, I think it's a, it's a good, as, as far as Will Levis spots go, I think it's as good as you get. Then Hendon Hooker to the Lions. We get all the way down to round three. But how many times on this show, how many times on the draft show? Hennon Hooker is a Detroit Lion, baby. I mean, just big old injured. Brad Holmes will not be able to resist. Lo and behold, big old injured Hendon Hooker is a Detroit Lion. It's a good offense for him. You know what I'm saying? It, it, it's a good opportunity for him to develop. That's a great spot. DJ Stroud, I skipped because like it's difficult to claim that the Texans supporting uh, 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 team, uh, supporting cast, offensive line of wide receivers is good at any stage to develop somebody. I will say that I really do like C.J. Stroud for Bobby Slowick and for a San Francisco 49ers style of an offense. Um, the Ohio State offense is not as like under center play action-y as you would as like, like the Kentucky one was, right? So it's like, all right, he doesn't fit in the Shanahan system. But in reality, they run like pretty traditional West Coast concepts at Ohio State and they run pretty traditional West Coast concepts in this offense. And then critically for, for Bobby Slowick, the new OC there who worked previously with like Jimmy and Brock Purdy, they're not as much like under center as they used to be. They're like in the gun and they spread it out and they just kind of like use motion to like make the concepts easier. Like it'll be very familiar stuff to, to Stroud and he's ridiculously accurate, which like when the quarterbacks succeed in this offense, they succeed the way by just hitting the guys, just hit the guys in stride and then let the, the yards have to catch work. So I think the schematics is really good with Stroud in Texas with the Texans, even if like currently the vibes are Robert Woods and Dalton Schultz. Hopefully, as that gets better, it'll help CJ. Uh, he's, that's a big difference from Marvin Harrison Jr. and Amika Buka, who are like both top 15 picks. Um, but in general, I like the schematic fit with them. So everybody, I thought, landed at a spot where it works. It makes sense. There was no moment where like, 
I remember initially when Justin Herbert landed with the Chargers being like, what? <laughs> I don't know how this is going to, like, I don't know how this is going to jive. And obviously, they've kind of been figuring that out for the last couple of years in terms of how that makes sense. Uh, I think everybody landed in a spot that's that's good for their development. And that's a huge part of talking about what quarterbacks are going to be good. We do the whole draft process and say, this is a guy I like, this is a guy I don't like. But in reality, like landing spot and development stability is the perhaps number one predictor of success in these first round drafted quarterbacks. And I think everybody got somewhere where they have the pieces in place that should be able to help them out, which is always good news. It's an encouraging thing. I think I mostly agree. Yeah, I I think Bryce Young is going to be really good. Uh, I think that, you know, he, he's smart. He's cerebral. He's a great processor. That's going to fit well for what they have there. They signed DJ Shark. You know, they've got like, they kind of threw a lot of darts at wide receiver where none of them make you that excited, but you hope that mm -hmm. you can kind of establish some level of competency just over the course of his season. And, you know, Frank Reich had what top 12 offenses in Indianapolis with not a lot at wide receiver. So I think if right. you're a Panthers fan, you can be excited about uh, that. Richardson, yeah, I'm just glad he got with a coordinator who's going to be like, we can use your legs. That'll establish a high floor for the offense. And then we'll let the passing game kind of come along, work to your strengths uh, there. You and I talked a lot last year about the Eagles and Jalen Hurts, where they didn't make it overly complicated with their passing game. And they didn't need to. And they had one of the best offenses they've had in franchise history. So uh, Richards is just such an intriguing player. I mean, not even 21, 13 starts, completed 54% of his passes last year. And if you watch his top 25 plays, you're like, oh my gosh, this guy could be yes. you know, easily Dirt. the best player out of this draft. So that that's going to be fun to watch for sure. The Titans with Will Levis, I will say, I kind of like the Titans approach at quarterback the last two years. Neither of them might work out. They took what Malik Willis in the third last year. They take, yeah. take Will Levis here. You mentioned Ryan Tannehill. I thought that my comp for Will Levis was if Carson Wentz and Taysom Hill had a baby and that baby was just Jack. That's that's what I like when I uh big that's fella. what I thought when I looked at. Yeah, he's a big fella. Will Levis. So I don't know that Will Levis is gonna be good. He's not exactly my cup of tea because I think the negative uh, you know, he has a lot of negative plays, I feel like, on film, and I don't know if you're gonna be able to weed those out in the NFL. However, I like the Titans approach. Like some of these teams, they just sit on their hands at quarterback. No, there's not the perfect guy. We're not taking one. No, we'll just wait another year. We'll wait another year. It's not mm -hmm. a bad idea to take some swings because guess what? Like if they do this again next year and you go one for three, 33%, like that's a win. If you, if you get an average level starter out of three day two picks, that's a win. That's a nice use of resources. Yeah. So I think that, and, and I think he is probably going to have to play at some point this year. I mean, Ryan Tannehill uh, with Banged kind of the supporting cast there could easily suffer an injury and Will Levis uh, could I have you, to play. So I, yeah, I like those. Yeah. I love the Titans draft. Peter Skaronsky, Will Levis, little Ty Sharp, Jalen Duncan. My boy. Ty J Spears. Ty J Sharp. I always, I always do that. A hundred percent of the time, when I mean to say Tajay Spears, I say Tajay Sharp. W would Tajay Sharp start for the Titans, given their wide receiver? Group? Probably. Right, Get him on the probably. phone. I don't know. <laughs> With all this said, I love their draft, and then I look at their wide receiver room, and I legitimately like, tears stream down my face. Traylon Burks, Nick Westbrook, Akina, yeah. Kyle Phillips, Racy McMath, Chris Moore, Mason Kinsey, Reggie Roberson Jr., Colton Dowell. Would you tell me what schools any of the non-Traylon Burks players went to? No, I, 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 I choose not so. to do that. Uh, yeah, we're not going to spend our time doing that. Yeah, you're right about that. And that's the same thing with Stroud. I mean, they trade away Brandon Cooks. He doesn't have a lot of people to throw to. I think their offensive line is maybe a little bit better than you were giving them credit for. I think it it's can a, be a competition. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it's not going to. I don't think that'll sink them. Uh, but yeah, certainly at wide receiver, that's going to be tough. And also to what you pointed to how much do they actually like cj stroud or did they were they just like well we kind of have to do this so let's do it so mm -hmm. we'll see there but uh, i think it's a good point i think richardson was the big one i didn't want to see richardson go somewhere where they were going to try to you know make it a traditional offense with the raiders and, yeah yeah i yeah i didn't want to see something like that all right we are on so now let's take a quick break and then we'll come back with our third points <laughs> This episode is brought to you by cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. 
So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. All right, back on extra point taken. My third point. I think the Pittsburgh Steelers quietly had a pretty nice offseason here. And I feel like their team, we pro- I, I feel like if someone did the, the graphs of minutes we spend talking about certain teams, like the Steelers would be pretty low on there. I don't remember us having many Pittsburgh Steelers conversations uh, over the last year, but I was My just looking at what Steelers they did. Fan, so I don't like, I don't like talking yeah. about the team. I don't like giving him hope <laughs> and happiness. You you already discussed them uh, when you don't have a mic in front of you, but uh, yeah, yeah. I thought they were one of my favorite drafts. You know, like they they jump ahead of the Jets to get Broderick Jones in the first round. I thought that was a nice reading of kind of the market and what other teams are going to do. And I like Broderick Jones. I like investing in the offensive line there. Joey Porter Jr. in the second round. That pick was awesome of Joey Porter Sr. Uh, holding Joey P- Porter Jr. in a Steelers uniform after Super Bowl. Maybe I'm just a uh, sentimental sucker dad once it gets to that it. point uh, in the draft. But I thought that was so cool. I, like I'm not someone who loved Joey Porter Jr.'s film, but like he has tools to work with. I trust Mike Tomlin to coach up a player like that. And let's see what he turns into. Keanu Benton, the nose tackle in the second round. This uh, I thought a disruptive player who's going to fit in really well there. And then Darnell Washington, I thought was nice value, even though there were the medicals that pushed him down the board at number 93. So uh, I look at the draft. I really like the draft in free agency. They addressed the offensive line. They signed Isaac Sayamalu uh, to a reasonable deal. I mean, he got 8 million a year. I think the Broncos signed Ben Powers to like $13 million a year, you know? So I I like what they did there. They didn't get too aggressive, but they still upgraded uh, the offensive line. And you look at them on both sides of the line of scrimmage right now, and there's a lot to like there. And it was what, a couple of years ago, it was like, man, the Steelers offensive line is terrible. And I think they've done a nice job rebuilding that. And I think their front seven looks pretty good. Not, not their front seven, I guess, because linebacker's not great, but their, uh, their front five, I will say, looks pretty good on defense. So uh, I don't know, Kenny Pickett, Matt Canada, that might limit their ceiling a little bit. I, I think I like Pickett uh, a little bit more than you do. I thought he at least showed some things last year. I was impressed by Pickett last, last year. year. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I was pointing out for me yeah. on Pickett for sure. Yeah, I thought I thought he definitely flashed. I was just looking at some numbers. I mean, uh, I like looking at how rookie quarterbacks have performed in their first year, the ones who have gotten to play. There's been 29 over the last 10 years that have seen significant action. Among that group, he ranks 13th in EPA per pass play. So like among rookie quarterbacks, he had an above average year uh, statistically there. You still have George Pickens, Minka Fitzpatrick, TJ Watt. Like they've got some exciting players uh, on that team. So again, I don't know that it's going to like lead to anything. I'm not telling you they're going to win the AFC North or they're a sleepy sleeper Super Bowl contender, but I just like the way they rebuilt their roster. And some of the stuff we've talked about in this show, I like when a competent organization does competent things and you look up and you say, wow, you know, they, the post Roethlisberger era, they've actually done a pretty nice job there. So uh, good job, GMO Marcon. Yeah. Good job, Mike Tomlin. And uh, I like what the Steelers have done. And I honestly, I like the way they read it, linebacker. If you gave me a choice between a Miles Jack okay. and a Devin Bush linebacker room and a, a Landon Roberts into Cole Holcomb linebacker room, I'm taking the second one because Jack and Bush always felt really re- redundant. They're very similar players. And then... Cole Holcomb is, is more in that mold, undersized coverage backer, right? Move around, scoot around. Landon Roberts, a thumper, big fella. Yeah. And that's like, I, I think it's nice to have the, 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 uh, the differences in play styles there. I think the Steelers ran into run defense problems when they had Jack and Bush back there together. The other thing about the Steelers. I always kind of liked a Holcomb. Like, I haven't studied a Holcomb yes. film, but watching a Holcomb, I'm like, when I watch him, like, just randomly, I'm like, he's, oh, he's not a bad he's little good player. Coverage. He's a good coverage back. Yeah. I mean, he, he's, liability and run defense, but you put Alana Roberts next to him and Alana Roberts is a defensive tackle playing linebacker. Like this is, this makes sense. The thing about the Steelers, like you brought up like, all right, let's go and let's step forward for Broderick Jones. All right. We just re-signed Larry Ogunjobi, but 
Keanu Benton's falling. We're just going to get Keanu Benton. Like, all right, we got an enormous Joey Porter Jr. press outside corner. And all of a sudden, Purdue corner Corey Trice, who's another similar like big outside press guy, has fallen. We're just going to take him on, on day three. Like, they're, they're extremely good at just like letting the board fall to them and just like taking the good players, not making much of a fuss. The exchange on that, right, is like, all right, you might have a need that just never comes to you. You might have a position that you want to hit and just other other teams are trained up for and you can't go get your guy and it never happens. And that happened to the Steelers in this draft. Nickel corner. They, they, they needed a nickel. They didn't, weren't able to draft a nickel. And then just on day three, very relaxed, very calmly, very quietly, signed Chandon Sullivan as a free agent. Then hmm. that's what makes the Steelers good. Right? Is there's no like, That's all right, like we, yeah. we got to go get these guys. It's just like, okay, everybody here feel good about Chandon Sullivan? Okay. Do we feel good about Chandon Sullivan not being signed until after the draft? Yeah. All right, let's go draft. And if Keytrell Clark falls to us, right, we get a Brian Branch, we go get some of these, these good, good slot defenders, Travis Hodgins Tomlinson, we'll go draft one. None of them did. Somebody hit up Chandon and then just a oh, little Chandon Sullivan and just round out that secondary. When you go and you look at the, the, the second team for the Steelers secondary right now, Zakilla Witherspoon, Levi Wallace, Arthur Millay. These are all guys who had to start for them last year. Just added bodies, right? Just, just put guys in place, and now we're going to see what shakes out in camp. So the Steelers are just... It's the same thing always. with offensive line, too. Like, they, yeah, yes. the guys who played for them last year are now backups, and that's, that's good. Which they are just always continually, exhaustively, irritatingly well-run organization, the Pittsburgh Steelers. And that's why it's hard for them to end up under 500 because they're just a above average team in a league with a lot of teams that makes a lot of mistakes. With a great coach for sure. Yes, no, no yes. doubt. Uh, no doubt about it. All right. Give us your number three take and then I will finish with the extra point take. <clears throat> the Seattle Seahawks are the fourth best team in the NFC. That- fourth. Oh, baby. Yes, I was, I was like, four okay. might not sound spicy enough, but I'm telling you, this is spicy. Super Bowl odds, FanDuel Sportsbook, among NFC teams, Eagles are first, Niners are second, Cowboys are third in a clear top three. After that, the Lions, a little bit further down, the Saints, what? The Packers, the Vikings, <laughs> the Giants, all before you get to the Seattle Seahawks at a measly low, plus 4,500. Now. Ben does not endorse betting on the Seahawks to win the Super Bowl at plus 4,500. <laughs> it is underpriced, however, and generally is a positive expected value decision, mathematically speaking, to be taking the Seattle Seahawks plus 4,500 to win the Super Bowl. The Seahawks were a playoff team last year. And it's easy to say that and be like, oh, the Seahawks were a playoff team last year. Well, yeah, so were the Bucs. Like, then, you know, like, a, you know, so many bad teams, the division, and everything. No, no, no. The Seattle Seahawks made the wild card round on the back of winning football games in a challenging division, right? Like the Rams and the Cardinals certainly like didn't have incredible seasons last season. Cardinals are picking third. I understand that, but go back and look at the NFC West. All of those games are tight, right? Like the NFC West plays itself extremely difficult. Seattle Seahawks did this at a point of transition in a year in which they thought cycle a bunch of young guys in, start a bunch of young rookies, see if Geno Smith has got anything. They just moved on from Russell Wilson. This was a, a, a extremely well-coached team that understood how to where its bread was buttered, understood how to maximize their own talent, and they made it to the playoffs. And they were tight there with the 49ers for like three, three and a half quarters. And then things got off the rails and there was a turnover and a big touchdown. And like the final score does not reflect the tightness of that game. They then added two first round picks. Devon Witherspoon, my corner one, a, a guy that that Pete Carroll sounds like he is attempting to adopt in terms of how he feels about how he plays football, in terms of his football character. He compared him to Troy Palomalu, which Pete Carroll has, like, pictures of Troy Palomalu above his bed. Like, pictures from, like, 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 like when, that Pete Carroll had when Pete Carroll was a kid of Troy Palomalu. I know those ages don't match up. Don't stick with me. He has those same photos. Like, he's kept them in the same posters, and he, like, he's careful with them. Troy, Pete loves Troy, and he's comparing him to Troy Palomalu. And then the pick that I think is really, really exciting is Jackson Smith and Jigba. Uh, the Seahawks so desperately needed a wide receiver three really like functionally a target three and smith and jigbo was the best wide receiver in the class with a skill set over the middle of the field tough catches taking on contact that dk metcalf and tyler lockett did not bring this is a wonderful balancing of what is now i think one of the if smith and jigba hits and i really like smith and jigba of what i think is one of the best wide receiver trios in the league right a lot of like really good duos 
and like like the Niners, Brandon Ayuk, Debo Samuel, and then kind of um, Jawan Jennings, Eagles, Debo, uh, uh, AJ Brown, Devontae, Devontae Smith, and just kind of whatever the third guy is, right? And they both have great tight ends there. But this, like as far as a wide receiver trio, really, really, really impressive. There's going to be some offensive finagling. Uh, you know, this 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 running game needs like slot receivers who block. And right now, I don't think that the Seahawks have one of those. There's going to be some some stuff to figure out. But in general, like the increase to offensive talent, I think this 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 Seahawks team is lock steady, ready to go to be a top 10 offense in the league. Defensively is where they struggled last season. I think the addition of Draymond Jones is enormous. I think that they did a, a they had a good approach, which was just to pepper the defensive line with draft picks, right? They took Derek Hall in the second round, took Mike Morris in the fifth round, took Cameron Young in the fourth round, right? We're just going to get bodies into camp. We need we, we, we need to get dudes here who can rotate, dudes who can play, and we're going to figure it out as the time goes. They're going to change the way they play their fronts. They were changing the way they could play their fronts last year because they didn't really know what they were doing. They didn't know what their talent was. They still have to shore up that front four, but Bobby Wagner with Jordan Brooks back in the building. Devon Witherspoon, Jamal Adams back from injury. The back seven here can play. Back seven's legit. The front four lands. Front four settles. Dallas Seahawks fourth best team in the NFC. I think the Seahawks are going to be legit good. I think you're not going to like to see the Seahawks on your schedule. I think it's going to be annoying to go play with the Seahawks. I think the Niners are not going to run away with this division. I think that the Seahawks are a legit good football team. And how fun is that? Did you give me the top, the top, your top three or no? During that, uh, Eagles, I, I, I didn't, I didn't say it explicitly. I think Eagles, Cowboys, okay. Niners is is the chalk top three. I don't think anybody's hitting into that. Once we talk second tier in the NFC, which to me is like Lions, Vikings, Seahawks, Giants. I'm not even sure I want to get the Giants in there. Once we're talking second tier in the AFC, I think the Seahawks are, are the best team there, and the Lions had the opportunity to be the best team there. Okay. And hacked it. They hacked it real good. And they disappointed me. I was so excited for them this draft. But whatever. The new apple of my eyes, the Seattle Seahawks. I would have said the Lions going into the draft for sure. I don't know. I'm looking at the Lions, like the players they picked. And you you had the the good tweet where if you just flipped around where they took the players, would we be talking about them differently? I don't know. Now, we would be like the Lions absolutely did get better. Like they added players who are good. They got good players. Yes. Right. This is very much like a relative measure where it's like, well, you could have done much better. So now the Seahawks are the fourth best. But the thing is, for me, is like I look at that Lions roster and I go, okay, they're going to keep winning games the same way they won games last year. And then they're going to keep losing games the same way they lost games last year, which is Jared Goff's going to be outside of his depth. And they're going to be playing in cold weather. They're going to be playing outdoors. And they're just not going to have enough in the passing game. Like, even, okay, Jameson Williams is coming back after suspension. But like, I, I just don't trust Goff. I, I've seen enough Goff to know about Goff. The Seahawks, I look at, I go, oh, you guys can win games differently than you won them last year. You guys got a, 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 a true blue chipper along the defensive line in Draymond Jones, which was desperately needed. And then you guys got a what I think is an impactful addition to the passing game, which was desperately needed. Like by the end of last year, teams started to get wise to how the Seahawks were approaching offense in Jacksonville and Jigba. Like you, you rounded out some of your rough edges in a way that I'm not, I don't think the Detroit Lions did. Like the, Jameer Gibbs is better than DeAndre Swift. But was the Lions running game the problem? Like Brian Branch is a great addition to the secondary, but was covering slots the issue for the Lions? No, it was Jared Goff. Jared Goff and the interior run defense was the problem for this this team. They added Jack Campbell, which does help with the 18th overall pick, which is too high of a pick to be spending on a thumping between the tackles linebacker. So it's tough. It's tough to fully get on board. Well, I, I think you look at it, and I was on, like, I've spent too, minute, too much time on this podcast talking about how I thought this offseason they should have aggressively looked to upgrade from Goff. They were still sixth in offensive DVOA. They were 27th in defensive DVOA. There was a, even though there were times where their offense didn't show up, that's true. But if you look at the larger sample, uh, absolutely overachieved and were one of the better uh, offensive teams in the NFL. But yeah, I still looked at it and I didn't I didn't love what they did uh, at all in the draft. I, I left feeling underwhelmed and disappointed yeah. in the first round with uh with the Lions. Now, the Seahawks, I will say, I think for like the first what, 8 to 10 games of last year, I don't know what the specific range was, we all were like, "Ooh, this offense, it looks good. They're playing well." They finished with a bit of a whimper, obviously, and they finished 14th in offensive DVOA. So like they need to be more efficient on offense. Now, the reason to be bullish on the Seahawks is because they killed last year's draft and theoretically players get better from year one to year two. Like they don't have an old roster. Yes. I mean, they have some old players on their roster, but you have two tackles in a corner. 
Uh, two two tackles and two corners who are young players. Three of those four players are uh, going from their first year to their second year. And by the way, Geno Smith, you know, it's like the first time he actually got to play. He's in the same system. He could theoretically be better. This uh, will be his last first offseason preparing to be the starter. Like last offseason, yeah, you could, like, right. it was still like, what if Drew Locke? You know what I'm saying? Like this will be his first offseason. Like, yeah. all right, I walk into Camp QB1, I'm leaving Camp QB1. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, they they did a nice job. You were higher on. I liked Gonzalez over Witherspoon, but I am not going to be so brazen as to tell you I know more about cornerback play than Pete Carroll. So if he liked Witherspoon, <laughs> Witherspoon, yes. you know, very well, probably was the better player. And I love Smith and Jigba. I mean, those three wide receivers. If you can, if those tackles come through, and you can protect Geno Smith, that is going to be uh, absolutely a tough offense to deal with. So yeah, I think I think the Lions and Seahawks are probably right there in four and five. I need to think about whether I'm uh, over-indexing my feelings on what the Lions did in the draft. I need to sit back yeah. and say, do I need to take a breath and come August say, no, 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 the Lions are still really good. So we'll see if I get there. But yes, no doubt, Seahawks were a winner. All right, I will finish this off <clears throat> with my extra point. My extra point, Ben, is everybody quit your whining about draft grades. Okay. The miss happens every yes. Monday, every, every Sunday, every Monday after the draft, everyone gets on their high horse. You can't grade a draft until three years in. First of all, that's wrong. The draft is about making decisions under uncertainty. The teams sh actually should be evaluated based on what they did with their resources, given the information we know at the time of the draft. What good, do, three years from now, yeah, we can all go on pro football reference and point out who the good, but what fun is that? That's like after right. a game is played saying this team won. Yeah, we all know that team won. That's not what this is all about. There's no mystery three years later. Are we not allowed to discuss the upcoming season? Like, can I not tell you who's going to be good because we just have to let the season play out and then I'll tell you who's going to be good? No, that's not how it works. This is the same thing. So that's number one. It's absolutely wrong to say you have to wait three years. And number two, more importantly, it's only freaking football. Can we calm right. down? Like, stop yes. your whining. Do you know how many stupid things we argue about in football, in yes. sports? That's literally all that we do. We come on with these mics and we argue about dumb stuff like somebody's paying us. And we thank you, Spotify, The Ringer. Nice job by yep, you. Uh, thank you. <laughs> thank you for doing Good that. decision. <laughs> it's the nature of this podcast. It's the nature of the industry. Why do people get so bothered about draft grades? Like, seriously, who cares? Is people offering opinions about how they think teams performed? If your opinions turn out to look ridiculous, and many of mine have over the years, then you get called out for it. And that's okay. That's part of it. So everyone, just settle down. You don't know what's making you click on draft grades, listen to draft yes. grades, redraft grades. But you know what? I like him. Danny Kelly, I thought you did a great job with the Ringer's draft guy. He was great. stressing over him. I, he was working hard. His, uh, yeah. his bell, bell curve. I got to give out some C's. He knew. It's good stuff. Yeah. Right? This is he hard knew. work by, by a man trying to feed his family. That's right. It's analysis from an informed writer. I like reading that. You know what? At the end, I get a letter. I like getting a letter. It tells me how did this person actually feel about how the team did. So good job, Danny Kelly. If right. you're doing draft grades, it's okay. We support you. To everyone else, it's going to be okay. Take a deep breath. Listen, there were there are a lot of English teachers back in Strasburg High School who are now wishing that instead of putting a B on my paper, they put a... This wasn't that great, but you might end up a writer eventually. And so we'll grade this <laughs> at a later right. time, right? <laughs> yeah. You, you, uh, if there were no value in draft grades, which is essentially, here's how you did relative to the consensus board. Here's how you did relative to consensus expectation. Here's how you did relative to the draft trade value boards. Then there would be no reason to watch the players beforehand. If it were not meaningful to see which teams drafted the players that we thought were good players, then we would not have three months of draft coverage. It would just let the players go into the draft cycle. They'd get picked. Every the fans of the Steelers would watch them, Keanu Benton and some Broderick Jones. Fans of the Seahawks would watch them, Devon Witherspoon and Jackson Smith and Jigba. Everybody would say, wow, we all got the best players. And then we would just move on from there. Like this has to be meaningful. This, has, this absolutely 100% has to be the case that we say, okay, now with the information we have, who did well and who didn't. And then in three years, we'll redo it. 
And you guys will click on that too. And the Kapati and Solak families will remain fed. And by the way, to you, to you 2024 mock drafters out there, I'm going to read your stuff too. Oh, what do I look Absolutely. better on a Tuesday after the draft than reading the next year's mock draft? That's I, she, l- l- literally be the first thing I click on tomorrow morning. While I was like thinking about my day this morning, get ready for the pot. I was like, oh, you know what? Like I should actually watch some Drake May film because I really haven't like sat down and watched him yet. And then my head went, you sick, sick man. You just <laughs> disgusting. You sick boy. Absolutely not. You are not allowed. But that was my thought. I was like, what, 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 what better time to watch a little Drake May than 363 yeah. days before the next NFL draft? We got time. This is our only downtime uh, of the year. We have to find some way to uh, use it other than fishing and golfing and stay connected to football. All right. That will do it for this episode of Extra Point Taken. Thank you to Ben Solak. Thank you to Cliff Augustine for producing additional production supervision by Connor Nevins and Arjuna Ramgopal. We will be back talking to you next Monday on the Ringer NFL feed. Until then, everyone have a great week. Thank you.